This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. It's six minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Thursday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. We certainly appreciate you spending a few minutes with us this morning as uh, we'll talk about a few things around the sports world. And then coming up at 9.30 this morning, Dan Zampano, who normally is on with us on Fridays to talk NFL football, is making a Thursday appearance uh, he's got a commitment Friday morning, so uh, we figured we'd have him on. We we can't go a week without some Dan Zampano on Sports Country Radio. So uh, he said that uh, he would come on today, and uh, he's actually going to be traveling, so we'll uh, we'll catch up with him coming up at nine thirty. All right, uh, before we get to sports, um, I'm I'm look. I know that the pandemic is it's consumed everybody's lives. I get it, but. You know, this morning I kind of I kind of reached my limit a little bit. I get up every morning, as I've said, I watch the news. Uh, then I watch, I move it into the Today Show, and I'm just we don't talk about anything else. It's like there's nothing else happening in the world besides this pandemic. And I get that a lot of people have died, and we're you know what, two hundred and fifty thousand people or something here in in the United States. And and yesterday was a bad day. Of three thousand people died yesterday. And I get it's all tragic, but good Lord, the Today Show this morning, they come up with this graphic about more people died yesterday than died in uh, 9-11, than died, uh, you know, almost as many people died in the first day of the Battle of Gettysburg. I mean, it's, we're, we're, (laughs) it's like we're trying to depress the crap out of everybody as if the pandemic isn't bad enough we get the media constantly beating us to death and if you're not already going half crazy or you're not already depressed the media is going to make sure you're ready to open up a vein i mean it's gotten just and and look i get it's the news we can't ignore it but come on you know come on it what what is happening with this pandemic is tragic it's tragic but we've had you know things like this throughout mankind and in the grand scheme of things you know if we compare this to the spanish flu from the turn of the the, the 20th century this is nothing if we compare it to the black death of the middle ages this is nothing i get it's tragic but for god's sake stop trying to make this so that everybody just wants to kill themselves. Honest to God. You know, for a while, you know, it was all about the election. It was like it was like the coronavirus wasn't happening, right? It was all about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Now, because the election's over, all we're hearing is the coronavirus. And it's just, it's over the top. It's over the top. How many more 
quote-unquote experts do we have to listen to to realize this is serious? And you know what? If you're stupid enough and you haven't taken this seriously enough and you're not wearing a mask and you're making fun of people that do, well, you know what? Shame on you. No amount of uh, beating over the head on television is going to make any difference. Good. God almighty. Anyway, all right, let's get to sports. Enough of that rant. Uh, Speaking of the coronavirus, uh, as we talk about it here on Sports Country Radio, but, you know, we got to deal with the reality. I don't want to deal with the numbers, okay? I don't want to deal with how many people are dying. Let's just all acknowledge that this is a challenging time. Okay, that's that's really all I think I would like here is let's just uh, let's just acknowledge that it's a mess. We got to take care of each other. We got to wear a mask, got to wash our hands. Let's just acknowledge that and just kind of make the best of it. You know, and that's what sports is trying to do. You know, football is trying to get through. College football is trying to get through. Basketball is trying to figure out whether they're going to be able to get through uh, with the surges going on. Now, UConn has had to cancel its game. Uh, on Sunday against Georgetown. Their Big East opener that was supposed to be tomorrow night's already been postponed. Uh, they were supposed to be at Georgetown on Sunday. That's off. The next scheduled UConn game is December 17th at Providence. And that is assuming UConn doesn't have any more positive tests and they're able to get back on the court in time to practice to play Providence. Uh, other than that, their first, their next game after that would be December the 20th. Uh, versus Creighton. So, you know, I mean, if, if UConn doesn't get back on the floor till the 15th, they're not playing U, uh, Providence College on the 17th with one day of practice. Not going to happen. Um, you know, and the Big East knows that it has to be flexible. They're trying to be. And I give Val Ackerman a lot of credit, the commissioner of the Big East. You know, they have come up with a couple of different scenarios. Right now is that travel model that, you know, they're trying to make this work. You know, they have worked with uh, public health officials to and, and to, to come up with this uh, protocols that, that they have in place and they, they are hoping it's going to work. You know, the problem is, is that, that these outbreaks that we're seeing aren't because of any travel that's going on in the Big East. It's because of stuff that's happening on campus, you know, especially with UConn. Um, you know, but they're ready to pivot, including, you know, going to some kind of a bubble format if they need to do that. And she has also said, hey, look. You know, if we have to, we'll take a break. You know, it's a three-month season. If we need to shut down for a little while and take a break, that's what we'll do. And that begs the question as to whether or not this is something that college basketball should consider doing as a whole with the numbers skyrocketing across the country after Thanksgiving and, you know, again, you know, this morning on the news, oh, the sky's going to, if you, if you get together with anybody at Christmas, you're all going to die. But, you know, let's assume that people are still going to travel for Christmas and there's going to be another surge after that. Do we need to shut it down for a month? You know, do we? Um, we look, there's already, you know, we've been, the season's been going on for three weeks. Okay. There are still, uh, 40 teams that have yet to play a game in division one. Think about that. There's still 40 teams that even though the, the season has been going on for a little while that haven't been able to play yet. And we have others that have played and then had to stop, you know, including, like we said, UConn, uh, the ACC alone has had, uh, three teams, Virginia, NC state, wake forest, um, have had to pause activities this week. It's going on across the country. Do we need to consider shutting down college basketball for, say, the next three weeks till 
the first of the year. I know it's going to condense the schedules. Maybe we have to eliminate a few games. Maybe it has to go. We have to stop worrying about non-conference opponents and just play our conference games and then let the committee figure it out. Uh, but it might be worth thinking about. You know, we've already had uh, uh, a ton of games postponed. You know, I mean, I, I go down the, I go to the Associated Press Wire every day, and you know, they they always have the uh, coronavirus update of what's going on. Uh, you know, and and LSU, for instance, this weekend is they were supposed to play in a a uh, a tournament in Atlanta. They've dropped out of it. Uh, Butler was supposed to play uh, St. John's on Monday. That was postponed. They were supposed to open up uh, against St. John's. They're now not going to open up until the 16th. Um, You know, we have seen so many teams have to shut things down. So is it the right idea to shut it down till the first of the year? I don't think it'd be the worst thing in the world. You know, if if the if March Madness isn't supposed to start till the middle of March, you know, maybe we eliminate conference tournaments. I don't know, but with with the stuff going on right now, you know, with the numbers going up, would it be appropriate to do that? You know, it's hard to say. You know, because they said that about college football throughout the year, and college football has managed to play Division One college football has managed to play eighty percent of their games. Now, um. To be sure, it's a lot more difficult in basketball. There's more travel involved. You're playing more than once a week. You know, in college basketball, you're playing at least twice a week, sometimes three times. So it's a little bit trickier with basketball. And, you know, football started and and had a chance to get going at a time when the numbers were kind of stabilized. They had, uh, you know, that old term, they had flattened the curve for a while. So in the beginning... It wasn't that bad, but things have gotten more and more difficult. Again, you know, more teams postponing games. Marshall said that their season finale against Charlotte has been canceled. Um, Indiana and Purdue were supposed to play this Saturday. That has been canceled. You know, uh, so, and on, on and on and on. So if, you know, we're seeing it get worse in college football. So I think it's, I think it's definitely worth talking about. Mike Krzyzewski at Duke was the first one that kind of raised this. And I I give Krzyzewski a lot of credit. His team is off to a bad start. They're two and two for Duke. That's awful. And Krzyzewski said, and and he admitted, he said, look, I know it's going to sound like I'm just saying this because we're not, you know, four and oh right now, but with what we're seeing, it might be the right thing to do. I don't know if they will or not. And in a time when we're talking about, you know, whether we're going to be able to play college basketball and are we going to get to the football playoffs, um, the Big Ten did the right thing yesterday. They dropped its six-game requirement for the conference championship game, and so now Ohio State will be in the conference championship game against Northwestern. Now, that hurts Indiana. Indiana had played the requisite amount of games. If Ohio State hadn't been able to get in, Indiana would have been uh, playing Northwestern for the championship. So Indiana kind of gets hosed here. They did. They were able to do uh, what was required. Uh, but with Ohio State being number four in the college football rankings, I don't think the Big Ten had any, chance here, uh, had any choice here. 
if they didn't do that, the Big Ten was going to be shut out of the college football playoffs. No doubt in my mind. Indiana wasn't going to jump up to number four. So I think, you know, the Big Ten looked at it financially. They had to do this, and they know it. Because Ohio State will beat Northwestern. So, you know, this was, this was again, just the, the same reason major college football is even playing. It's all about the money. For Ohio State, the decision to put, or, or for the Big Ten, the decision to put Ohio State in the championship game is all about the money because the, the, the team or the school and the conference gets a lot of money from the college football playoffs from the TV revenue. So they really had no choice here. Um, and in a, uh, a similar vein and, and in a time when we're talking about cancellations, talk about tone deaf, the SEC announced that they are going to allow almost 17,000 fans to attend, uh, the conference championship game between Alabama and Florida. It's going to be at Mercedes Benz stadium uh, on December 19th. Now I, I get it. It holds 75,000 people, but that's 17,000 people. They're going to socially distance them, but that just seems tone deaf to me. We're talking about, you know, NFL teams that are playing in front of nobody. And yet the sec is going to allow almost 17,000 fans at their conference championship game. It just seems dumb. Uh, the ACC is going to allow, uh, some limited fans at its championship game between Notre Dame and Clemson as well. Uh, but they are probably only going to, they're only going to allow about 5,000. Uh, they're going to allow 7% of the stadium to be filled. So if you go on a percentage basis, I mean, the, the ACC is being smarter. The SEC is allowing about 25% capacity for the, the game. It just, just seems tone deaf to me, but then again, it's the SEC, so nothing should surprise me. It frightens me to think I'm going to be moving down there. <laughs> it really does. Um, other news, baseball news, and not great news uh, for a lot of cities across this country, little small cities and towns that have minor league baseball teams. Uh, the carnage, uh, the official word on the carnage that we knew was coming was announced yesterday as Major League Baseball announced all the affiliates for all of its teams yesterday. Uh, here in the state of Connecticut, um, the Hartford Yard Goats keep their affiliation with the AA, uh, as a AA affiliate of the Colorado Rockies. But the Norwich team, which is now the Sea Unicorns, but it was the Norwich Navigators, they were once the AA team of the New York Yankees. Uh, Norwich was left out. Uh, they have no affiliation. They have not been invited to that uh, draft league. Uh, so as of right now, uh, there it will be no baseball in Norwich, Connecticut for the first time in over 20 years. And, and that saddens me. I mean, I worked uh, there for a while as the official scorer for the, uh, uh, when the Yankees and the San Francisco Giants had their affiliate in Norwich. Um, Dodd Stadium, nice stadium. Uh, now, to be fair to Major League Baseball, this was one of the ones that may have been an easier, easier call. Norwich has not drawn well. They did originally when the Yankees were there, but when the Yankees left and the San Francisco Giants moved in, you know, there's no, uh, there was no uh, 
affinity for that. At least there were a lot of Yankee fans down there, so they came to see the Yankee minor league team. When New York left, there was nothing, and they have not drawn well. I think they're drawing less than 2,000 fans a game. So from a financial standpoint, you can, you can understand that. Uh, but for a small town like Norwich and the businesses around that ballpark, it's going to be difficult. Same thing in Lowell, Massachusetts. The Red Sox officially had to cut ties with the Lowell Spinners. That was their Class A team, and they have decided to make Salem, Virginia, uh, their Class A affiliate along with uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Look, this was done uh, for one reason. The Fenway Sports Group, the group that owns the Red Sox, has a 30% share, owns a 30% share of that Salem team. So they really had no choice here. I mean, they own 30% of the Salem franchise. They're not going to bail out on them. Now, the Red Sox, to their credit, have said that they are trying to make it so that this uh, situation in Lowell is a very short thing. They're hoping to bring them back as an affiliate as early as 2022. So that tells me that the sports group is going to be getting out of Salem and moving it from Salem to Lowell, perhaps for 2022. Look, we know that the, the Massachusetts officials were very, very aggressive. Uh, Representative Lori Trahan uh, introduced a bill in the House of Representatives um, and went to war with Major League Baseball. They lost, as did every other city that went to war with Major League Baseball. And not surprising because Major League Baseball has you know billions of dollars to fall back on. But this is something that is, you know, is tragic. Now, yes, they they cut it to 120 affiliates, and then they're going to have that draft league, which is going to be, uh, you know, another dozen or 15 teams or whatever it is. You know, so at the end of the day, we're probably going to have about 20 teams, which doesn't sound as bad, but 20 teams across the country that are, have nowhere to go. They're either going to have to be an independent league team, or they're going to have to fold and and. Uh, have you know no baseball, which will be difficult for some of these small towns because these minor league teams become a fat part of the fabric of that community. You know, families host players, and you know it's just and and, and the businesses around the ballpark rely on that uh, for their livelihoods. So it is going to be hard. There's no question about it. Uh, Norwich is going to be you know one of those. Um, they're hoping perhaps to get invited to that draft league. As of right now, they're not. It's going to depend on some other, uh, some other teams, what they decide to do. Um, there have been, uh, franchises that were AAA affiliates that have been forced to go down Fre uh, in, uh, Fresno, for instance, Fresno, California. Uh, they were a AAA team in the Pacific coast league. And they were given an ultimatum by Major League Baseball. You either agree to become a Class A affiliate in the California League or you're out. They didn't have any choice. But why? Because the city still owes $32 million on this 11,000-seat stadium that they built. They built an 11,000-seat stadium. Look, you have to have certain capacity. I think your stadium has to hold 10,000 people to be a AAA affiliate. So Fresno built this big stadium to stay in AAA, and now they're stuck with it. They still owe $32 million bucks, so they couldn't tell MLB to go pound sand, but there is going to be less interest in going to a Class A team where you're seeing the raw 
recruits, the raw rookies in Class A. People want to see, you know, a lot of, you know, they want to see Triple A baseball. They want to see guys that are a, uh, a tweaked hamstring away from appearing in a major league game. But Fresno had a gun held to their head. There was nothing that they could do. So, look, this whole thing sickens me, as I've said from the beginning, that this is all about the bottom line. I'm hoping at some point uh, it will go back to the way it was, but with this moron Rob Manfred at the helm of Major League Baseball, he seems he seems determined uh, to try to tear this game away. You know, instead of building the love of the game, which you should be doing, if people are worried about, you know, viewership and fans and everything, you know, how many how many fans you're losing to Major League Baseball, you should be encouraging Minor League Baseball rather than taking it away from cities. It seems counterproductive to me. Uh, one other quick note before we take a break, Dan Zampano to join us at 9.30. Al Michaels yesterday uh, was named the winner of the uh, – Ford C. Frick Award for Broadcast Excellence by the Baseball Hall of Fame. We talked yesterday about the uh, the writer's side of it. Well, now Al Michaels is going to the Baseball Hall of Fame. Everybody, of course, thinks of Al Michaels for two things. Uh, football, Monday Night Football, and now Sunday Night Football, uh, and the U.S. Olympic hockey team, the 1980 uh, Do You Believe in Miracles uh, team. That's what everybody thinks about him most. But you know what? He was a baseball announcer for a long, long time. He started in the minor leagues in baseball back in 1968. He worked for the Cincinnati Reds as well as the San Francisco Giants. He was also the guy that was on the mic the night that uh, we had an earthquake. Remember that in San Francisco? In uh, Game 3 of the 1989 World Series, Al Michaels was actually broadcasting that game with Tim McCarver. Uh, when that game was uh, interrupted, you know, so he's got a long history in baseball and, uh, good for him. And, uh, you know, he's, he's one of those guys along with Jim Nance. He's part of our lives. I can't imagine a day when we'll have sports, you know, without an Al Michaels or out without a Jim Nance. It's kind of like it was, I guess, for years, uh, with guys like Keith Jackson, you know, whoa, Nelly, back, you know, listening to him do college football games. I mean, as part as, you know, and as we move along, it's nice to see uh, Al Michaels getting recognized for some of the great work he did in baseball, even though that's uh, not really what he does uh, now. But uh, he was very, very good when he was calling baseball games. It's 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. When we come back, he's back. Dan Zampano, the dancing man, will be with us to talk NFL football. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call on a Thursday morning. We're not used to talking to him on Thursday, but uh, we had to. He's going to be away tomorrow. So uh, Dan Zampano, the dancing man. Uh, Folks, you have not seen anything until you have seen Dan Zampano dance to KC and the Sunshine Band. Uh, did, did that on Facebook the other night. And I, it's, it's something that I will never be able to unsee. Uh, but good morning, Dan. How are you? Oh, uh, well, you know, I'm glad to have, uh, opened up your eyes a little bit. That's me. Listen, sometimes, sometimes you just got to dance it out. I mean, you just got to <laughs> dance it out. You right. got to figure things out. There are a couple of teams that could probably use some dancing, some exercise a little bit, you know, and you know why I was dancing? Maybe, maybe I was dancing 
because of two things. Okay. A 45 nothing win in L.A., that's probably one reason that I was dancing. Right. And the other dancing was somebody called a Monday night football game <laughs> that completely just, oh, no, it could never happen that the Washington football team could beat the Steelers. It could never happen. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't, does anybody, do you know anybody that called that? Yeah, you know anybody? Yeah. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. You know, he gets one right out of ten, and, and we're never going to hear the end of it. But, look, yeah, let's start with that. Um, talk about a stunner. And, look, uh, you and I were texting a little bit back and forth. I am so happy uh, for Alex Smith to be in this situation, a guy that was thought about – he might have, thought he was going to have his leg amputated at one point, and now here he is – playing in a huge upset victory. Now, to be fair, it wasn't about the Washington offense that did this. This was all about the defense. But, boy, uh, what a great story, uh, the the, uh, the Washington football team. I still can't get used to saying that. But what a great story that was. Yeah, awesome. I mean, to think about this stat, which was absurd, that, that – uh, the Steelers, with a fourteen nothing lead or fourteen point lead in their home building, were seventy eight one and one. Yeah, um, and they and they ended up losing. So seventy eight two and one. Now the only other game actually was Philip Rivers a couple of years ago with the Chargers. But um, yeah, amazing job by the. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> but the um, the defense. I mean, the defensive line in particular, because the other part of the defense. Made some plays, but if, if that entire game was won and on a specific um, sequence, the fourth down, the the four down hold that they had at the goal line right. in the second quarter right. was the major major factor into keeping them in the game. Now that kept them from getting down seven nothing. They ended up getting down fourteen, but it could have been could have been a lot worse going into the half. Uh, Pittsburgh, to me. Their offensive line couldn't handle it. They clearly were missing Marcus Pouncey, their starting center. That really hurt them. Chase Young, Montez Sweat, uh, the guys, the two um, Alabama guys, Payne and Allen. I mean, they were just getting a push all night long. It's funny. They didn't really get to Ben that much, you know, but they did force him to have to make some awkward throws. And Pittsburgh really gave this game away by dropping a ton oh, of balls. I mean, they seven, just, seven I, it's been horrible. Yeah, seven uh, It's passes. unbelievable. The, they're leading the league in this category now, and really only because of the last two weeks. This happened against Baltimore. This happened on Monday night. I mean, this has been a real issue for Pittsburgh, and and the idea that they just could not score in the second half, Washington just, I mean, you would think that they would make adjustments there, but credit Alex Smith finding a guy, big guy, Logan Thomas, yep. the, uh, the uh, former Virginia Tech quarterback, uh, the tight end, just having a really, really nice game. They took away Terry McLaurin. So, you know, they went to that second option, and Washington just everything fell into place, and when the chips were down they needed it, Montez Sweat came up with another batted ball, got an interception, and away we went. The Washington football team pulling upset. Yeah, it was funny, too. You were on Twitter, and you said, okay, you know, great job by you know Washington. They just need to get one more stop, and it, it, it happened on the very next play when Sweat tipped that yeah. ball by Roethlisberger, and uh, it got picked off. So, uh, well, Look, I don't know. I guess that was probably more surprising than what the Giants did. But uh, the New York Giants with a huge win at Seattle. And, boy, talk about a Seattle team that has completely imploded. Uh, and and didn't uh, 
Uh, didn't Pete Carroll just sign a contract extension, uh, you know, yeah. in Seattle? And that team is going in the wrong direction right now. Yeah, I agree. And I think that one is, is actually more surprising than Washington because I, I didn't see them going across the country uh, to go play Russell Wilson with a backup quarterback at the helm. Right. And, you know, McCoy's obviously one of the better backups, but he's still a backup. And they really, really played incredible defense. I mean, incredible defense. Russell Wilson, uh, you were, I was shocked. They could not put the ball in the end zone. They just couldn't do it. And they couldn't. And every time they were down in the Giants um, territory, I mean, the Giants just stiffened. And it's really a credit to Joe Judge and what they, they brought over Patrick Graham, who was fired by the, I don't know if he was fired or like, or what have you, but fired by uh, Miami last year, Brian Flores. And so Joe Judge immediately picked him up and he's been a godsend for them. I mean, really has been uh, in, in calling this defense. The Giants are now going to be fighting with Washington <laughs> for the uh, – think about that one. I mean, what are we, back in like Joe Theismann, Phil Sims days? I was just about to you ask know? you. I mean, I, unbelievable. I was just about to ask you, when is the last time the Giants and Washington – were on top of the NFC East. It's been a long, long time. I, I was thinking, boy, it's like Phil. You're right, Phil Sims and, and Joe Theismann are out there. I mean, it was, it was, uh, it's strange to see those two teams up on top. Now, the, to be fair, they're five and seven, uh, but still. But hey, that's that's enough. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah. Uh, so the NFC East announced that it is not quite as dead as everybody thought it was. Uh, no. and, and if you're the giants, you get, uh, your quarterback back this week, Jones is supposed to play, uh, this week. So, oh, good. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that's, you know, I guess I, well, I guess it's good. I don't know if you're the giants, do you, would you rather have Colt McCoy? You won a game, uh, that you weren't expected to win, but still that's, uh, that's a big shot in the arm. Let's talk about the Patriots now. Uh, and this was, look, you called the win. You knew it was going to be a big win. But I don't think anybody saw forty-five to nothing coming. I mean, it was just no. un- unbelievable. And the special teams—it, you know—everybody said, "Well, this was a special teams win." Well, yeah, okay, all right, I guess. But they—they uh, they just ran all over this Charger team. Yeah, I mean, it crushed them. And and what was great to see was that the offense was super balanced, especially when it came to how Cam Newton operated. Um, now, Cam didn't have a great game. Uh, first half, he was pretty good. Second half, yeah, I've seen better. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, uh, you know, they had 14, I think it was 14 passes and 12 rushes. I mean, you know, I, I like that, that, that they were balanced and that they used him yep. uh, more. And they've been using him a lot more, and that's going to have to be the strategy going forward is maybe that they were kind of saving his legs for the end of the year. And, um, you know, to me, I thought the, the encouraging thing about the Patriots is that their defense is playing lights out football right now. I mean, really over the past, really like four weeks, uh, not counting really the Texans game, but, you know, going back to that Ravens game, um, the Cardinals, they were outstanding. Um, Adam Butler has been amazing. That Chase Winovich has been amazing. Um, you know, they're just really getting to control the line of scrimmage. And that that's really making a difference because we know their, their secondary 
they've been without Gilmore for a while, and, and he's been great coming back. But the secondary is their strength, and when you can get a push on the on the on the line and be able to kind of collapse the pocket, and especially on these young quarterbacks, Herbert. I mean, God, I, I felt terrible. Yeah, <laughs> he, he guys got a master class. I mean, didn't he? He got a master yep. class in in NFL defense and with Belichick and what he did. But here's my takeaway from this game, and, and I texted you about it. How is Anthony Lynn <laughs> not on the first flight to Kuala Lumpur with his bags packed? I mean, yeah. I just don't get it. I stand, oh, We want to assess it after the season. What's there to assess? The guy has lost every close game. He's lost every big game. You've got a number. You've got a top five receiver in the league. You've got a great quarterback. You've got a, a ton of great defensive players. This is the best roster and the worst team yeah. I've ever seen. They, really, I mean, I name a. I've never seen a roster like this that's this bad. They it's are terrible. So why are we beating our head against the wall? Yeah, well, they're eight and twenty since making the playoffs two years ago. Eight and 12. Oh. Think about that. And, you know, but you called this before the game. I remember we were talking last week. You said, has there ever been a bigger coaching mismatch than Bill Belichick and uh, the, the San Diego Chargers? And you are absolutely right. I mean, Anthony Lynn yeah. was completely outcoached in this one. And, and, uh, and hey, Terrible. we saw two, two guys last week we hadn't seen in a while. And Keel Harry made an appearance. And Sony Michelle, the Invisible Man, actually oh, made it. <laughs> have there? Have there? Can we relegate him you know, to fullback you know, and Nikhil to tight end? I That's to, what we should do. I have to ask you: Have there been bigger busts in the Patriot draft in your memory than those two guys? Have the Patriots really drafted all that well in the first round? I mean, think, <laughs> yeah. think about these names. I mean, can you yeah. can you talk about? Chad Jackson from a while ago, and like well, uh, Dominique Easley, yeah. and you know all these Cyrus Jones. Like I mean, all these <laughs> ridiculous. Oh, like I can't talk about Cyrus Jones. If I talk about Cyrus Jones, we'll be here until next week. Um, I, I can't do it. Before we uh, before before we uh, get to this week's games, I have to bring up. You texted me. I was driving home. I didn't see the. By the time I got to this game, it was already over. Uh, can we talk about what the Cleveland Browns did to the Titans last week? Now, I get that the Titans made it interesting in the second half, um, but Baker Mayfield, four touchdown passes in the first half, and the schoolyard bully actually laid one on a quality opponent last week. I have to give credit where credit is due. The ninth-grade bully moved on to 10th grade. He got through. So, you know, congratulations. You got a 10th grade bully now. Um, yeah, that was, that was the worst I've ever seen the Titans play. Um, and Cleveland just jumped all over him right from the get go. It was a play action game that really worked out well. Chubb just ran the ball to no end. The Titans turned the ball over right in the first quarter. I mean, it was a mess. It was a complete mess for them. And they were just, they were just, they were just, listen, they were just playing from behind the rest of the game. And yeah. Baker, I mean, give them credit, man. They, they were, so, and, and this has been a problem for Tennessee all year, is that their secondary has really given up a lot of big plays. Right. So he really took advantage of that, really did play action because their Nick Chubb was their run defense 
the runoff that is so threatening that that really opened up the pass and they got into people. Jones had a really you know long touchdown and a couple other guys, but Baker, when you do something that hasn't been done since Otto Graham, like now we're starting to get somewhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like four for four four touchdowns in the first half hadn't happened since 1951 for a Browns quarterback. Otto, so Otto, you know Otto Graham was you my, know, Otto Graham was my old boss. At the, at, at the Coast Guard account, right? Yeah. When I was coaching yeah, basketball yeah. there, he was the athletic director. So that's that goes back right. that goes back a long way. Like, a long way. So you know what I'm talking about, yeah, how long yeah. ago that goes, you know? <laughs> I, so, so that's what I'm saying. Like, you know, we were doing the sock hop back then, and right. now we got Baker Mayfield. So, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you know, that that's a really impressive win. Now, can they do it again? Well, we'll talk about Can that. Can they do it we'll, again? We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> I, we'll talk about it. But I'm, that's my next thing. Can they do it again? Because if they right. can, I might start turning my head. I'm the tenth grade Ooh. bully. Yeah. Uh, um, one other guy I wanted to talk about a guy that uh, you and I have both kind of said, you know, oh, you know, he, he. I don't, I don't quite get it. I'm starting to get it. Uh, I'm starting to become a bigger believer in Josh Allen. Now, you know, he's he's a bit inconsistent with his accuracy, but man. Uh, he really laid one on the 49ers last week. Yeah, I thought the 49ers would come out and play better. Um, you know, but I think one of the things that that, that they kind of ran into, I thought the, the changing of the stadiums really was a kind of a weird thing for them. And yep. uh, Listen, that, that was right there for the taking for both teams. I mean, San Francisco got up early. Um, they Both teams were going up and down the field. But eventually, when you get in a, when you get in a situation like that, when you have Nick Mullins and Josh Allen, you're going to have Josh Allen win that contest every time, and you know what the shootout. So, but but I will say this: Josh Allen looked like a stallion. I mean, he looked really, really good. Just ab, just out of the pocket and his accuracy. And this is something that I talked about with you. I think when I first came on with you the first time. Uh, when we talked about the 2018 draft like a while ago. Yep. And I and I had said, you know, I said, look, Josh Allen's my number one quarterback because he can get out of the pocket and make plays. Um, coming out of that draft, and that was a quintessential reasoning to why I would have drafted Josh Allen first as, as the first overall quarterback is because of the athletic ability to outside of the pocket and be able to strike it. I mean, really strike it down the field. And now that he's got the front digs, Cole Beasley is is playing really well right now. Um, they're just on a roll. They're on a tear. And think about it. I mean, they didn't. Wouldn't they have be? Wouldn't they have won what four in a row if not for a hail mary? Right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like you know, that's they're right now the Bills are the hottest team in football. There's no question about it. You know, and you know the other part about Josh Allen too is he's doing something that. Uh, that many people don't do. As a matter of fact, Cam Newton's the only guy that's done what he's done is not only is is be able to throw touchdown passes, but he is you know his ability to make things happen with his legs is is probably yeah. the underrated part of his game. There's no doubt that Josh Allen is. <laughs> it's crazy to think about, but is Josh Allen the most dangerous dual threat quarterback in the league right now? I mean, if you think about it in that light, I mean, yeah. Yeah. he's that impressive. You can't go 31-38 and, and throw for almost 300 or over 300 or whatever he threw and, 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 you know, against a pretty good 49ers defense and 
you know, not have that set about you. And they're, look, they're eight and three, nine and three for a reason right now. So it's getting scary up in Buffalo. They're having some Sunday scares. But listen, you're right. They need to stay consistent. But right now they're super hot. All right, let's get to this week's games. Let's start with tonight's game. Uh, the Patriots at the Rams. Uh, Rams a five-point favorite. This started out, I think it's six and a half. It's down to five. Mm-hmm. Look, look, the Patriots, are you know, people are talking about them, still having a shot at the playoffs. It's an outside shot. They've got to run the table to have any chance. Yep. And, uh, you know, this is a Rams team that is coming off a, a, a victory over Arizona last week. They're playing pretty well. And uh, the defense for New England is going to have to step up again, and Jared Goff is going to have to take care of the football for the Rams. That's the key to the game. Right. Can they get pressure on Goff? And is he going to turn the ball over? The whole key, everything in this game rests on Jared Goff's shoulders. Everything. I mean, can't you, though, just a real quick point, don't you think that Sean McVay is just ripping pissed that that the, the Patriots schedule and and what they've got? This, I mean, they've had to be in L.A. They've been in L.A. for a week. Right. I mean, that's got to really just grind them. Well, yeah, and, and Belichick yeah. was this week saying saying it already. He's like, well, that's a little bit of a disadvantage that we've been here for a week. You think, Bill? Like, <laughs> I know what you're doing there, Bill. So, yeah, you know. Well, you know, but the- to me, I, yeah. Well, I just was going to say that, that yeah, McVay's got to be, you know, look, I don't, you know, if they're going to play both L.A. teams, that's fine, but just make them have to come across the country. Give us some kind of home field advantage. We already don't have the yeah. fans, and now we don't even have the advantage of New England having to make that trip this week because they've already been here. It's just, I, I can believe well, he's stewing a little. I think I think that that's the reason this is going to be a really close game, and I think it's probably going to be within the number. <sighs> I just, I the guy that scares me is Jalen Ramsey. I just don't know how they account for him. Mm-hmm. With, with, they can't block him. They don't have anybody to block him. Right. I mean, he's going to come down and probably play a lot of like almost Raptor linebacker. Um, you know, it's going to come down to Jared Goff. And are I got to see the Patriots defense step up for a, for the third straight week. And this is it for them. This is their season on the line. And if they win this game. It, things get crazy because Baltimore plays Cleveland, Miami plays Kansas City, the Raiders play Indianapolis. Those are all three of those teams could very well lose this weekend. Right. So right. this is very, very important game. That being said, I'm going to take the Rams. Close. I just, I, I just that if they're two, they're a better team. They're a better team. I, I was rooting hard, but I'm going to take the Rams. Wow, I've, we haven't heard you pick against the Patriots very often here, but it's a, it's a new year, that's for sure. Yeah, um, there's a guy, there's a guy down in Tampa that makes a difference. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. All right, um, the New York Giants are at home. They have an Arizona team that has lost two in a row, but uh, and and I don't know whether it's because Larry Fitzgerald hasn't played or not, but Larry Fitzgerald would be back in the lineup this week. Uh, Arizona, mm-hmm. a two-point favorite in New York. And now the, this, the answer is, is can the Giants follow up that huge victory by winning one at home? They got a shot. They certainly do. Uh, I think the key to the game is, again, we're going to the quarterback position, and is Kyler Murray's shoulder viable? And is it is it working? Um, they clearly, the strategy has been to, to keep Kyler Murray from getting out of the pocket and throwing it over the middle. I mean, when he does that, there are issues with the Cardinals, the Cardinals' offense. So, 
you know, it's going to be a, a tall task for the Giants to do it again. Um, with Jones coming back, I feel better about it. They can run the ball with Wayne Gallman, that who has been unbelievable yeah, for sure their is. offense. Yeah. Uh, that would be really helpful for them to establish some stuff like that. But they're going to have to throw the ball down the field. And, you know, this Arizona's defense is not it, – it's good, not great. You know, it's, Seattle's was okay. It has, hasn't been great. Now they're at home. They haven't been great at home. But the Cardinals do have to come across the country. I hate doing it because I feel like it's a little bit of a public play. But I'm going to take the Giants to win in an upset and, and beat the Cardinals. All right, next game. Indianapolis is at Las Vegas. Las Vegas should have lost that game last week except for the dumbest uh, defensive call in the history of defensive calls. Uh, but now Vegas mm-hmm. gets Indianapolis this week, and again, Indianapolis has to have this one. Uh, they struggled a little bit last week, but managed to beat Houston. Uh, they need to back this one up by beating Vegas. Yeah, I mean, talk about. I mean, Indianapolis should have lost too. I mean, true, yes, right. one at the, the five-yard line. You know, I mean, that was a very scary game. Uh, yeah, both of these teams uh, need this game, and both one would have the inside track to get in that sixth playoff spot you know so um to me everybody's in their mother's going to be on the colts everybody in their mother's going to be on the colts and i think that it's a great time to take the raiders you got to buy low sell high on 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 some teams and i think the raiders will bounce back they'll find a way to they've been struggling i mean struggling on defense um but their offense is still viable they're going to throw the ball down the field um, I think it's going to be a very close game. It'll be a shootout, a lot of high-scoring game. But I'll take the Raiders to uh, to win at home across the country. All right, this next game, a neutral site game. Washington looking to follow up its big win last week. They have to play a uh, 49ers team that did uh, not play very well last week. San Francisco, a three-point favorite, despite uh, not really playing at home. Yeah, the thing about San Francisco is that they run a very different style of offense than, than Pittsburgh does. Pittsburgh is just we don't run the football at all anymore. I mean, right, they just yeah, throw 50 yeah. times a game. You know, where where San Francisco is much more unique in the way they style uh, the run game versus, you know, they do a lot of reverse plays. They have a lot of speedy receivers and young receivers. And even though Nick Mullins is in there, I still think that Nick Mullins is a viable backup. And, you know, Give Washington's defense credit, but Alex Smith cannot move. I mean, he just can't move. It, and and you know, I God bless him for winning that football game. But I think this is this is a, a little bit too tall of a task for them to go on the road and play San Francisco. So uh, I'm going to take the 49ers. All right, uh, Pittsburgh at Buffalo. Probably the probably the this is this is one of my uh, the two best games of the week I think uh, this one in the Monday night game so Pittsburgh at Buffalo Buffalo a two and a half point favorite you know we talked about Ben Roethlisberger throwing the ball a lot did you watch him last week when he was walking on and off the field he walks like he's 110 years old you know I mean that's it, Ben it, <laughs> honest yeah, to God that's Ben I, he's been walking like he's 110 years old for three four years now I mean like. It's it's crazy. I mean, the guy is just a warrior. But you know, these guys, these quarterbacks are super super similar. They're big guys. Allen's obviously a, a lot more athletic uh, right now. But Ben, you know, you saw Ben do a little pirouette. You know, get away from some defenders on uh, on on, yeah. on Monday night. I mean, he did some stuff. So you know, to me, Pittsburgh's defense is really banged up. They lose Robert Spillane now. 
Um, that's a big loss for them as a linebacker, so they're, they're down another linebacker. Um, the thing about Buffalo, I mean, is Buffalo going to do this back-to-back weeks? And this is a much tougher – I mean, it's listen, San Francisco's a good defense. This is the best defense in the league in Pittsburgh. Um, and I think Pittsburgh, a lot of the pressure got out of the balloon last week when they lost, I think. You know, I feel like they've been trying so hard to maintain that zero in the loss yeah. column that yeah. that they've just they they weren't playing their game. They get James Conner back this week, hopefully. So hopefully that'll add to some of the running game and what they can do. They get Marquise Pouncey back, hopefully. As high as people are in Buffalo, I'm going to take the Pittsburgh Steelers to win. You know, I'm going to take them, and and I think that they can exploit some things. Remember, Buffalo is not great against the pass, and. You know, as as one dimensional as Pittsburgh's offense has been, they can they can exploit that. You know, they can exploit that. They have a lot of good receivers, so I take them really close. Could be even overtime, but I'll take this. All right, then Monday night, uh, Baltimore is at Cleveland. <laughs> Baltimore, a one point favorite. Lamar Jackson did exactly what he had to do last week. After two weeks off, mm-hmm. he just basically put that team on his back and carried them to that victory. And he's going to have to continue to do that because this Baltimore team needs the MVP, Lamar Jackson, not the guy we saw for the first half of the season. Yeah, they do. And, you know, maybe there is some resurgence for him after being out for a little while. Um, Listen, this game got played week one. Baltimore won 38-6. It was a blowout. Lamar threw the ball really well. Uh, I think if he can do that, the strength of the Cleveland defense is their D-line. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit tough to run the football. But Baltimore has dominated this rivalry. I mean, they just have. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a new a new defense. and a new, I'm sorry, a new offense of scheme for Cleveland. So that makes things a little different. What is the state of the Baltimore defense? I mean, can they stop people passing the football? Uh, that's a huge question because they got – kind of carved up in the first half by Andy Dalton uh, in that game. So, you know what? This one's another close one, but I think, it, again, it's a, it's, we're, we're selling high. And, you know, if Cleveland wins this game, God bless them, they're a Super Bowl contender at this point, you know. But I think Baltimore uh, will win this game because they, they have what it takes to beat this team. They just know this team. So, divisional game, I'm taking Baltimore. All right, Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. You can hear uh, Dan and the boys on the Sunday card on Saturdays at 11 in the morning, 3 and 5 in the afternoon, and then again on Sunday morning uh, at 11 o'clock. Dan, thank you for a few minutes this morning. Uh, Travel safe, my friend, and we'll look forward to talking to you next week. Absolutely, Gene. Take care. God bless. Dan Zampano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Wake Up Call. We'll find out how the Patriots made out tonight and uh, are their playoff hopes still alive. We leave you this morning with some holiday music. It's Michael Buble and Shania Twain on White Christmas. Have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.